Section 29 of The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1, Mammals, by Charles Lewis Cornish, Editor. The Walrus the distinguishing features of the walrus have been mentioned in the introductory remarks to this chapter. It should be added that it has an external ear passage, though no external ears, and very thick and bristly whiskers. It is practically confined to the Arctic Circle, though once its range extended to the British coasts, where its bones are found in the Suffolk Craig, and to Virginia. The skull of one was found in the peat at Ely, evidence that it once ascended rivers. The walrus stands alone. It is a real monster of the deep. Strange and awful stories were told of it by some of the early voyagers to the Arctic seas, but Captain Cook gave a very different account of his impressions of the walruses, which he saw on the north coast of America. They lie in herds of many hundreds on the ice, huddling over one another like swine, they lie just like a lot of pigs in a yard. They roar and bray so very loud that in the night or in foggy weather they gave us notice of the vicinity of the ice before we could see it. We never found the whole herd asleep, some being always on the watch. These on the approach of the boat would awaken those next to them, and the alarm being thus gradually communicated, the whole herd would awake presently but they were seldom in a hurry to get away till after they'd been once fired at. They then would tumble over one another into the sea in the utmost confusion. They did not appear to us to be that dangerous animal which authors have described, not even when attacked. Vast numbers of them would follow us and come close up to the boats, but the flash of the musket in the pan or the bare pointing of it would send them down in an instant. The female will defend her young to the last, and at the expense of her own life, whether in the water or upon the ice, nor will the young one quit the dam, though she be dead, so that if one be killed, the other is certain prey. The long pendant tusks, bristly whiskers, small bloodshot eyes, and great size lent color to the terrifying tales of the walrus, but more ancient voyagers than Captain Cook told the truth that the morses, as they called them, were harmless creatures which often followed the ships from sheer curiosity. They sleep on the ice like elephantine pigs, and dive and rout on the sea-bottom for clams, cuttlefish, and seaweeds. Probably the long tusks are used to rake up mussels and clams. They also help the walrus to climb onto the ice. A young walrus was kept for some time by the members of the Jackson-Harmsworth expedition, and was found to be an amusing pet. One kept on board a Dundee whaler used to sleep with an Eskimo dog, and got into the same kennel with it. It ate blubber and salt pork, but liked the sailor's pea soup better than anything else. It was most sociable and could not bear to be alone would tumble down the hatchway to seek the society of its beloved sailors and scramble into the cabin if the door were open. When it fell ill, and before it died, it seemed most grateful for any attention shown to it. 
The parent walrus shows the greatest courage in trying to defend the young one. Walruses are now scarce, but as the ivory is the only part of them of much present value, there is a chance that they may not be killed off entirely. THE TRUE SEALS The true seals, with their greatly modified forms, heads set almost onto their shoulders with no neck visible, have well-developed claws on all the toes, and in the typical species have double-rooted and small cheek teeth. The number of the incisors is variable. The gray seal of the North Atlantic is a large species which visits the North British coast in the Hebrides. One old male shot off the coast of Connemara weighed nearly 400 pounds and was eight feet long. It is found off Scandinavia and eastwards to the coast of Greenland, and breeds off our coasts in October and November. This is the large seal occasionally shot up Scotch locks. Its color is yellowish-gray, varied with blots and patches of dirty black and brown. THE COMMON SEAL This seal is smaller than the preceding. It breeds on parts of the Welsh and Cornish coasts, and is found on both sides of the Atlantic and in the North Pacific. It assembles in small herds and frequents locks, estuaries, and river mouths. In the summer it is fond of following flounders and sea-trout up rivers. A few years ago one came up the Thames and was shot at Richmond. The young are born in June and are grayish-white. The adults are variously mottled with gray, brown, and black. The fondness of seals for music is proverbial. MacGillivray, the Scotch naturalist, said that in the Hebrides he could bring half a score of them within forty yards of him by a few notes on his flute when they would swim about with their heads above water like so many black dogs. A seal was captured by the servants of a landowner near Clew Bay on the west coast of Ireland and kept tame for four years. It became so attached to the house that after being carried out to sea three times it returned on each occasion. The cruel wretches who owned it then blinded it out of curiosity to see whether it could find its way back sightless. The poor animal did so after eight days. The common seal is still fairly numerous on the rocky western coasts of the British Islands, though a few old seals, unable to forget their early habits, appear now and then in Morecambe Bay and in the Solway. It is not uncommon off the coasts of Katniss and Sutherland. It also frequents a sandbank in the Dornock Firth, though it has been much persecuted there. The common seal is gregarious, while the gray seal usually lives only in pairs or at most in small companies. Two or three dozen like to lie closely packed on shore, with all their heads turning seawards. The white hair of the young seals, which, as already said, are born in June, is shed in a day or two when the young take to the water. With regard to their reputed musical proclivities, some experiments made at the zoological gardens did not bear out this belief, but there is much evidence that in a state of nature they will approach and listen to music. The common seal has a large brain capacity and is a very intelligent creature. The upper parts of this seal are yellowish-gray, spotted with black and brown, the underparts being silver-gray. 
The harp seal is an arctic or ice seal which sometimes finds its way to Britain. The young are born on ice floes. It is found in great herds in Davis Straits, on the coasts of Greenland, and in the greater part of the frozen Arctic Ocean. It is the animal which the sealing vessels which hunt seals for oil and hair, that is, the leather of the skins, not the fur, seek and destroy. In the old days they could be seen in tens of thousands blackening square miles of ice. They are still so numerous that in Danish Greenland more than thirty thousand are taken each year. The ringed seal is a small variety, not more than three or four feet in length, found in great numbers in the far north. Its flesh is the main food of the Eskimo, and its skin the clothing of the Greenlanders. The seals make breathing holes in the ice. There the Eskimo waits with uplifted spear for hours at a time until the seal comes up to breathe, when it is harpooned. The bladder-nosed seal is a large spotted variety with a curious bladder-like crest on the head and nose of the male. Unlike all other seals, it sometimes resists the hunters and attacks the Eskimo in their kayaks. If any evidence were needed of the great destruction which the sealing and whaling industry causes and has caused among the large marine animals, the case of the elephant seals ought to carry conviction. These are very large seals, the male of which has a projecting nose like a proboscis. They were formerly found both north and south of the equator, their main haunts being on the coast of California and on the islands of the South Pacific and Antarctic Ocean. They are gigantic compared with the common seals, some of the males being from 16 to 20 feet long. Cuttlefish and seaweed are the principal food of this seal, which was formerly seen in astonishing numbers. The whaling ships, which hunted both these seals and sperm whales at the same time, almost destroyed those which bred on the more accessible coasts, just as the earlier whalers entirely destroyed Stellar's sea cow, and their modern descendants destroyed the southern right whales. The elephant seal is now very scarce, and when one is killed, the skin is regarded as something of a curiosity. In the records of the voyage of the Challenger, it is stated that there were still great numbers of the elephant seals surviving near Heard Island, and not a few round the shores of Kerguelen Island. Professor Mosley states that on the windward shore of Heard Island, there is an extensive beach called Long Beach. This was covered with thousands of sea elephants in the breeding season, but it is only accessible by land, and then only by crossing two glaciers. No boat can safely land on this shore, consequently men are stationed on the beach and live there in huts. Their duty is constantly to drive the sea elephants from this beach into the sea, which they do with whips made out of the hides of the seals themselves. The beasts, thus ousted, swim off and often haul up, as the term is, upon the accessible beach beyond. In very stormy weather, when they are driven into the sea, they are forced to betake themselves to the sheltered side of the island. Two or three old males, which are called beach-masters, hold a beach for themselves and cover it with cows, but allow no other males to haul up. They fight furiously, and one man told me he had seen an old male take a young one up in his teeth and throw him over, lifting him in the air. 
The males show fight when whipped, and are often with great difficulty driven into the sea. The females give birth to their young soon after their arrival. The newborn young ones are almost black, unlike the adults, which are of a light slate brown. They are suckled by the female for some time, and then left to themselves lying on the beach, where they seem to grow fat without further feeding. They are always allowed by the sealers to lie like this, in order to make more oil. This account was corroborated by all the sealers I met, but I do not understand it. Probably the cows visit their offspring unobserved from time to time. Perron says that both parent elephant seals stay with the young without taking any food at all till the latter are about six or seven weeks old, and that the old ones conduct the young to the water and carefully keep them company. The rapid increase in weight is in accordance with Perron's account. Goodridge gives a somewhat different story, namely that after the females leave the young, the old males and the pups proceed inland as far as two miles sometimes, and stop without food for more than a month, during which time they lose fat. The male sea elephants come ashore for the purpose of breeding about the middle of August, the females a little later. Formerly the elephant seals were found as far north as the Californian coast where their capture was the main business of the sealing traders. This species also formed the mainstay of the far southern sealers. As the elephant seals were killed off, so the business became less and less profitable. It is to be hoped that the voyages of exploration to the Antarctic ice fringe will not lead to the discovery of fresh sealing grounds, for if this is the case... There is little chance that any of the southern seals will escape entire destruction. Some form of close time has already been enforced in the pursuit of the hare seals of northern Europe, but it is very desirable that the species still found on our own coasts should also receive protection. Except when they paid visits to the fixed salmon nets, they never did any harm, and fixed nets are now illegal. When a seal learned the use of the stake nets, which these animals were very quick to understand, it would wait quietly till it saw a fish caught, and then swim up and carry it off before the fishermen could take it. Two species, namely the common seal and the gray seal, still regularly visit our shores. The common seal breeds on our southwestern coasts, and the gray seal off the Hebrides. If the common seal were accorded a close time, its numbers would probably increase, and the spectacle of such interesting creatures visible on our coast could not fail to be of great interest. All the old legends of mermaids and wild men of the sea are based on the capture of seals. Perhaps the most ancient is one which records such a capture in the river near Orford Castle in Suffolk in the reign of Henry II. The ignorant soldiers were persuaded that it was a man, and tortured it to make it speak. They then took it to the church and showed it the sacred emblems. As it showed no reverence, they took it back to the castle and fed it on fish. It was allowed to go into the river, but returned to its captors of its own accord. Later it swam away to the sea. The monk who recorded the story stated his conviction that this seal was an evil spirit which had got into the body of a drowned sailor. A gray seal was taken not many years ago in the creek leading up to the little town of Wells in Norfolk. It was so tame that the fishermen caught it, 
by throwing coats over it as it lay on the mud. End of section 29. Recording by Thomas Rose.